Okay, good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you. Okay, if you've got your outline, I'd like you to take it out because we're going to look at the question that you are going to face. You're going to face it at work. You're going to face it in your own family. And it's this. Do good people go to heaven? Answer, no. Good people do not go to heaven. Well, I'm a good person. Anybody here a bad person? No? Okay. I want to unpack that because you're going to hear that argument in your work uh, and with your friends and around the conversations around your home. I want to look at one of the most popular theories that you're going to hear promulgated, an assumption about heaven. See, you and your friends and your colleagues have got great questions. You need to engage those questions. And some of the things I often hear is, I don't have anything against Christianity. Nothing against it. But my question is, surely, Ian, there's more than one way to get to heaven. There's got to be. I mean, I don't have anything against your system, but if there is a good God in a good heaven who wrote a good book, surely he didn't limit access through one door. Now, friends, I can appreciate that question. Anybody else appreciate that question? Okay. Now, some of you are here today. And in this room, some of you would say, I'm a Christian. But I don't believe Christianity is the only way. That's what some of you would think. There's got to be other ways. Today I want to talk about an assumption that seems to support that idea, prima facie. That there are many ways to heaven. But... Because most of you know people who think there are many ways to heaven, I want to take the time to look at this. I've also found, and by experience, that most people who believe there are multiple paths to heaven that you meet at work also believe something else. And I want to spend most of the time getting after the something else because it's that something else that's fatally flawed. This assumption appears to support the notion that there is more than one path to heaven. And it's this, good people go to heaven. And that is, let me be clear, not only good Christians go to heaven, but good Jews go to heaven, good Catholics go to heaven, good Baptists, good Buddhists go to heaven. That's the assumption. Pick any group, doesn't matter. It's not only one group that's going to get there, but it's all the good people in those groups who are going to get there. That's the thinking. The person that believes that there are many roads to heaven also believes there are some people who are not associated with any church or any belief system, but they are good people. And they see the common denominator between Christians and Buddhists and Hindus and Catholics as not a belief system, not who is their God, not that, but the common denominator is they are good people. And so consequently, God isn't limited to one avenue through one specific religion. Most people believe that God is going to gather up all the good people from all the good groups, the qualified people from all the religions, and they are the ones that are going to make it. 
And some of you in this room believe that. The other reason they believe good folks are going to make it to heaven is a hidden assumption. But they will never say this one aloud. So watch this one. Here it goes. If anybody's going to make it to heaven, I'm going to make it. They'll never tell you that, but that's what they're thinking. Whatever the qualification is, I'm certain I'm going to make it. There are people, and the, and the rationale goes, well, there are people lots worse than me. And there are people better than me, but I'm sure I'm pretty much better than most of them. So I'm over halfway, so I'm in. I mean, I'm good. You're good, aren't you? Again, is there anybody here that's not good? <laughs> we don't like to admit that. I've never heard anybody in my entire life admit, well, I believe there's a heaven, and I believe good people are going there, and I'm not one of them. Never heard that. <laughs> oh, be careful of that one. Now, on the surface... There appears to be some merits. I am preparing you for your discussions you're going to have. On the surface, there appears to be some merits of assuming, assuming, notice, that good people go to heaven. Here's the first one. It seems a, a fair system. I haven't written that in, I don't think, so you may want to write that down inside. These are some of the assumptions that people drink the Kool-Aid. In a civil society, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to good people. Right? Fine. Second advantage of this thinking is I make the cut. That's an implied assumption. You're a good person, so there's got to be a good system because I'm in. I'm on the winning team. The third assumption is it motivates you to be good, whatever good is. Not sure what that is, but I'll sure try to make sure that the scales are tipping in the right direction. And the implied theory is, listen carefully, how you live your life on this side of the grave determines what happens to you on the other side. Ooh, the somastic in that one. And number four, it's very consistent to an idea of a good God. Makes sense that if there is a good God in a good heaven who's written a good book, it should be filled with good people. That's quite reasonable. So on the surface, it seems reasonable. But very few people have thought more than skin deep on this subject. I want to try and convince you today and help you convince others that you're going to talk to that there are major problems, insurmountable problems with that thinking. Good people go to heaven. Because chances are some of you or people that you know believe that. And I want to get you this morning. I'm going to address your head this morning. God forbid a church addresses your intellect. Imagine that thinking in church. Perish the thought. And challenge you to go back into your Bibles. Again, perish the thought that you would go and dig deep on this. This is a very important subject. I want to get you to think today about the often unchallenged view of our culture, which is prevalent and the problems associated with the view that good people go to heaven. First one. First problem off the get-go. There is no clear standard of good and bad which we can check our progress. Now, this is a big deal. Because if good people go to heaven, then what do you need to know? 
What is good? How do you define that? Where exactly is that definition? Right? We need to know what it means to be good. We need to know how good is good enough. I mean, like, is there a scale? And whoever God is up there, whoever he or it or she is, whatever it may be, then that God who made this system up should probably let us know what that standard is, right? So we can meet it. Now, if that's the way it works, if it is, and my eternity hinges on this, it ought to be clear to me and you what is good and how good is good enough. Truth is, we don't have that information. We don't have that information. Now, in many places, about now, somebody's itching to whip out their Bible. Itching to whip it out. Well, I can tell you, Pastor Ian, how good I have to be. You see, because the Bible says I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and all my strength, and all my might. And I'm trying to live by the good book. That's what I'm trying to do. And some people think, well, this is a good a good book from a good God tell me how to get to good heaven and I'm trying to do everything I can that's in there to live by it so I'll be good enough now listen carefully if that is your goal you will never ever be that good and neither will I if we get into heaven by doing all the good things spoken of in the Bible then none of us are going to get to heaven Now, you in this room may have, some of you may have a high respect for the Bible. Now, you may be not so sure whether you believe all of it, but you still got a high respect for the Bible. Because you'd say, yeah, I'll give you that. There's a lot of good things in the Bible. So you're kind of shooting for it, but then you kind of qualify yourself. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not perfect. But I'm doing a reasonably good job at keeping the Ten Commandments or whatever. You know, as if we have to qualify it by, I'm not perfect, just in case anybody's unsure about that. Now, here is the problem. Get into some of the verses now. Of using the Bible. Here it comes. First verse. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. How many? Did you get that, isn't it? All. Let me put it in colloquial English. That means everybody tried, nobody made it. Do you get that? Get it? Good. Everybody tried, nobody made it. That's what the Bible says. So be careful of whipping out the Bible. How about the next verse? There is no one righteous. That means nobody has a right standing before God. How many people have got a right standing before God? No one. How many people are sinless? No one. Not even one, the Bible says. There it is there, Romans 3.10. So the Bible says there are no good people. We've all blown it. But you say, but it tells me what to do to be good. Now, sure, the Bible has some good things to say. And at the end of the day, when you have done all you can do and you have failed, the Bible itself says nobody is really good. There aren't any good people. 
see the flaw in the argument for that. I'm not saying that you think that's true. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says is true. No one. Not one. Let's carry on. Next verse. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's 3.12. Now, whatever does not include seeking of God's purposes ends up being worthless. Let me say that one more time. Anything in your life and my life that ends up, does not include seeking God's purposes, will end up as wood, hay, and stubble, or worthless. Because it's only his purposes that last. Look at this next one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. Whoa! In his, or God's sight, by observing the law. Whoa! Hold on. So I'm not going to be have a right standing by observing the law. That, that is, when you die, according to the Bible, God is not going to look at you or anybody and say, you did such a doggone job at keeping that law, you're in. He ain't going to say that. No one did that. Look at the rest of the verse. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Another version says, I think the NASB says, the law is a schoolmaster which brought us to Christ. You know, been taken to the headmaster's office. <laughs> Straight to the headmaster. Because I can't do it. I'm in trouble. The law shows me what I'm missing. So the Bible teaches that the reason that God gave the law wasn't to give you something to keep so you could go to heaven. The Bible says the reason God gave the law to you and I was so you can go, Whoa! I'm really bad. I can't do this by myself. Hello? That's why the law is important. Now, because many of you were raised in church, you had kind of this impression, well, the Bible is a good book, and God is a good God, and he lives in a good heaven, and he wrote a good book. And I'm just going to do my best, and basically the Bible says that when God is going to say, hey, you've done a reasonably good job, you're over 51%, you're in. The scales tip to the good side rather than the bad side you get in. Now, I just briefly, man, I wish I had some more time this morning, but I just briefly want to take the very basic Ten Commandments. And I'll pick a couple because we haven't got time to go through each of them. But let's look at this one. Is anybody here good by this standard? Just the basic Ten Commandments. The first one. How do you measure up against you shall have no other gods before me? Well, question. Is God your highest priority at all times? Nope. How about the next one? You shall not make an idol for yourself. Is anything more important to you than God? Let's start with your business. Or your money. Or anything. Anything before God, it's an idol. You're putting it before God. How about this one? Mm, Number four. Let's skip to number four, guys. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do you cease from your labors and set apart time each week to worship and commune with God? How are we going so far? Anybody got a perfect score so far? Okay, well, I won't. I won't. There are a lot more than. I mean, there's many. Well, let's pop to number six, boys. Jesus said, You shall not murder. You, know, you shall not murder. But he said, Anybody who hates his brother is a murderer. Mm, number seven, commit adultery. Oh, I haven't done that. Really? 
What have you been looking at on the internet? Ever desired somebody else's wife, cousin, neighbor? We won't dwell there, but get the point. And it's an issue of the heart. It's not what you didn't necessarily physically, but Jesus got after what you did. Hmm. How about number 10, last one? You shall not covet. Have you ever longed for a position, power, or property that belonged to somebody else? A car, a house, a boat? Who knows? You know what I'm saying? That's what it says. Ten commandments. So I just want you to know this. If this is your standard, what you're looking at to find the difference between good and bad, if this is your roadmap that you've been using or assuming... And maybe you know a few verses here and there, but in your mind you've kind of cobbled together some sort of Clayton's theology, your own little formula of what is good. Please do not use this as a standard because there are no good people. The standard is way too high, even on the very, 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 very basics. So here's what I'm saying. If you are here this morning, and in the back of your mind you've all assumed that good people make it, and bad people don't? Well, you can go ahead and believe that, but don't ever please try and use the Bible to justify it. Or anchor that position, because the standard is way too high. Now, not only are you not perfect, you're not even this good. Some people say, I tell you where I've got my standards of right and wrong. I think good people go to heaven because God has put in all of us deep in our hearts what's good and what's bad. And God's going to look at the motives and he's going to suss it all out. Now, here's something to think about. And I want to suggest it to you. Number two, there is no innate sins of good and bad. There is no innate sins of good and bad. And that's because major wars have been fought over what two different groups thought was right. Now, we could go over here to side A, and side A say, we are right, and they are wrong, and by the way, just to boot, to up the ante a little, and God's on our side. Hmm? And then you go over to side B, and they'll tell you why they think they're right, and they'll also try and invoke God, why they are right on that side. Both sides would claim they're right, and they're willing to die for it. This is not an idle opinion. This is something they deeply believe. Maybe we think about Nazi Germany for a second. Persecuting the Jews, and they were convinced they were right. I think they were wrong, but who am I? They thought they were right. How do we know? Well, you say, oh, it's obvious. Everybody knows. Well, here's the problem. If I decide to go with this internal sense of what's right and wrong, have you noticed that internal sense of right and wrong often slightly changes as you get older? There is so much contradiction. There's no consensus. Folks, there's no consensus here even in this room. Let alone between nations or between races. Now, the big problem with good people to go to heaven is we have no idea what is good. No idea of what is good. And we need to take that bad idea out of the equation in conversations. It doesn't fit. We have no idea what percentage of our actions have to be good to make the cut. Is it 50 or 70? Is 50 a pass? Was seven year pass. 
and do some things way more, way more than others, you know, like a white lie or a murder. Be careful. Be very careful. David. Paul both murdered people. If you believe that good people get to heaven and are honest, you ha- you've got to be honest and say, I have no earthly idea where I stand with God. There's no objectivity in it. What you've done is you've made up a system in your own mind, and that's what many of your friends and neighbors do. They make up systems in their own mind. And you said, here's what's important to God. Goodness knows how they know that. And here's what's not important. So if I were to say to you, how do you know what's important to God? Well, you'll just say, well, it is. I created in my mind some sort of reality. If it works for me, it works for you. I'm sure it works. The good people go to heaven system is like a teacher who rolls up on the first day, like some of you teachers, at the beginning of the term says, class, at the end of the term, there's going to be a pass or fail test. You are dismissed. Goodbye. Then there's a hand up at the back. And the hand says, uh, you mean you're going to give us a test? You haven't made it clear to us what the curriculum is or what will be in it. And the teacher says, yep, that's it, goodbye. That's the insanity of good people get to heaven. Or let's think of it another way. Those of you who love athletics, you line up for a race. Everybody's on the start line, that's clear. And just before the gun's about to go, you say, hey, just wait a minute. How far is this race? How far do we have to run? And by the way, where exactly is the course? And could you just at least point out where the finish line is? And the guy says, we'll tell you when you cross it. Great. So the gun goes off. Kaboom. And it just scatters in a mad panic of activity. That's the situation with good people go to heaven. That's the assumption. Because you have no idea what is good. You have no idea where you are in the race. Are you at the front? Are you at the back? Are you in the middle? Are you hopelessly lost? You don't know how much time you've got until, he, until somebody says, no more race anymore, the race is off. And you don't know how the good outweighs the bad. You may have some idea that outweighs the bad ideas, but guess what? You made it up. It's just an invention of your imagination. And here's the scary point. You are hinging your entire eternity on that crazy assumption. Now, you and I are not that smart, so here's what we do. Those habits that I don't wrestle with, I'm sure God thinks are really bad. But the ones I do wrestle with, I'm sure he understands. You see how we play that game in our minds? And we make it all up. Now as many questions as you may have about Christianity, I want you to know the problems that believing that a good people go to heaven are far more complex. A teacher that won't tell you what's going to be in the final exam is not a just teacher. An employer who won't tell you what you're going to be evaluated on isn't a just employer. Somebody who expects you to run a race where there's no clear finish line or a course mapped out, that's not a fair race. So, to believe a system that good people go to heaven 
is just so unjust and unfair that it breaks down even with a cursory analysis. Now, I know there are hard questions in Christianity, but there are good, solid answers. Now, if good people go to heaven, we're all in a world of trouble because none of us know where we stand. Here's the third biggest problem. Would the good people go to heaven play? The gambit, the gamble. And this is a big one. Number three, it makes a liar out of Jesus. It makes a liar out of Jesus. It's interesting that in all the conversations with people I've ever had over 40 years, no one has ever said to me, well, I think Jesus lied. They will say, well, I don't think he said that. (laughs) No, he did say that. But nobody's ever said, really said, well, you know, he lied. If good people go to heaven, Jesus lied. Here's why. He said the exact opposite. He said the exact opposite. You might want to write that down. No other religious leader ever taught this. Jesus taught the opposite. You know what it is? Bad people go to heaven. Good people don't. I'm going to explain that in a minute. You see, in religious, Jesus' day, religious leaders had a job description. It was be super good. Wash a certain way, wear certain clothes, do certain things on certain days. Be very religious and be very holy. Now Jesus comes along and he says, Hey, you see those folks over there? Listen to what he says. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's certain. So whatever it is, it's got to be greater than that. The disciples are stunned. They are shocked. And they go, whoa, if it's insufficient for them, for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, common people like us have got no hope. Then Jesus would go up to some unholy person like a tax collector or a prostitute. And he'd say things like, go sin no more, you're forgiven. But, 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 but Jesus, I haven't been to the temple every week. For months, actually. Forgiven. He taught that the best of the best weren't going to make it, and the worst of the worst could be forgiven. Now, do you know what Jesus taught? He didn't believe that good people went to heaven, and here's the guts of this message. Forgiven people go to heaven. There's a huge difference. Luke 23. If there's anything in you, by the way, that somehow believes the Bible teaches that good people make it, this story ought to put this one to rest, that theory to rest. Luke 23:32. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it up. Two others who were criminals. Now, the word used in Greek literally means pirates. Literally pirates, you know. I can see Jack Sparrow there actually at the moment. So out of control, they couldn't even be trusted to be chained and row the Roman galleons. Couldn't even be used as slaves. They were so reprobate. This is at all the word that's being used here. Not just the basic thieves, the worst of the worst. Now they were led away to be put to death with him. Luke twenty-three thirty-two. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, 
they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right side and one to the left. And Jesus said, Father, look at this, help them to do better. Did he say that? These people are to crucify me. No, no. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do we? And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God. Interesting, same temptation that Satan threw before him in Matthew 4.4. If he is a chosen one, the soldiers mocked him, also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him, And this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged uh, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Now this guy recognizes that even in the human court of law, he was being justly punished. He's getting what he deserved. He deserved to die. Not even by God's standards, but by just human standards. But the man, this man, he says, has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and, you said, and Jesus said to him, Too bad, so sad, you're bad. No, he didn't say that. No, he did say, You're bad, but look at the next verse. Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Then they both died. Now, I want to point out that the rededication of the cross right then doesn't mean much. From here on out, I'm going to be a better husband. <laughs> From this point in my life, I'm going to turn things around and things are going to change. He couldn't do that. Didn't have that option. Stuck on that cross. You see, the thing that makes Christianity so unique, so different, is Christianity is not about do, it's about done. You may want to write that down somewhere. Christianity is not about do, 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 which every other religion in the world is about. Christianity, it's done on the cross. Real Christianity teaches people, real Christianity teaches forgiven people go to heaven. And the way we are forgiven is to throw ourselves at the mercy of the only one who can pay the price for our sin. And the way a person becomes a Christian is by doing exactly what the cross, uh, the criminal on the cross did. He recognized his need and he recognized who Jesus was because he says to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom because I believe you're the king. And he said, if there's any hope for me, it's certainly not my deeds because I'm strung up on this cross for this. I'm a rat bag. I deserve this. If there's any hope for me, it's in you, the king. And Jesus said, that's all I'm looking for. Urine. Could you tell me what is more, could be possibly more merciful to us, towards us than that? What could be more merciful? Now, there are some difficulties in believing in Christianity, but we're going to talk about them later on in the series. Christianity, though, I want to put this to you. 
is the most just, fair system possible in an unjust and an unfair world. Now let me summarize the whole deal in three quick statements, then we're done. Are you ready? Pen's ready. Nothing can be more fair or just than this. Everybody is welcome, number one. Everybody is welcome. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Two, I like this one, everybody gets in the same way. No back doors. Everybody gets in the same way. Jesus said, answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Number three. This is a beauty. Everyone can meet the requirements. Can you think of anything more fair or clear or just? Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. Everybody meets the requirements. Here's the requirement. The requirement says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever really tries hard and keeps the Ten Commandments believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, everybody is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. And everybody can meet the requirements. Let me illustrate it this way. Possibly the best way to say this is this. If I... That stool there that I've been sitting on the whole time. If I say I'm going to trust in that stool, am I trusting in it? No, absolutely not. The reason why is I'm not being supported by that right now. I can say it, I can talk about it, I can describe it, but no, I'm not trusting it. What say if I say to this stool, I am going to believe in this stool, I'm going to, for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell everybody that that stool I'm going to trust in for the rest of my life. Am I actually trusting in that stool right now? Probably not. What about like some of you today, you come like this. Am I trusting in this stool? Now, if something happens to that stool, I'm going to be all right because I'm going to pull back from that. If something happens to the stool now, I am bearing my whole trust on the stool that's going to support me. Whole trust. There's one thing believing, there's nothing putting yourself in it. Remember the old story of Blondin? The world's best tightrope walker. Anybody been to the Niagara Falls? The ferocious. Well, of course you have. There's a tightrope. New York Times. You can go read this. New York Times. Go back and Google it. New York Times. Best tightrope walker. Uh, walker. They've got USA there, Canada there. The guy gets along there, walks along, sits down in the middle of it, cooks his breakfast, has a poached egg and stuff like that in the middle of this, over the top of Niagara Falls. And this to me was a mind blower. People are saying, you're the greatest, taking all his photographs. And then the guy turns around to him, blonde, and he says to the, he says to the guy, you sound the greatest tightrope walker in the world. You've seen me do this how many times now, walk across the Niagara Falls. He said, look, grab, and he took a wheelbarrow, ripped the, uh, the, the tire off the wheelbarrow so it was just a, like the rim, put it on there. He said, you believe it? Get in. There's a difference between believing 
and putting your whole trust in. That is what Jesus wants. As the stool goes, so do I. As the barrow goes, so do I. Becoming a Christian is unique. It's about putting all of our trust in Christ's death on the cross for the payment of our sins, all of it. Not leaning on what I'm going to do too, my good works. No, 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 no. The whole lot, my good works count for nothing. The Bible actually says there's filthy rags. The whole lot is going to be put on there. It's not about trusting what I do. It's about trusting and placing my weight on what he's already done. Christianity does not teach that good people go to heaven. Christianity teaches that. Help me. Forgiven people go to heaven. And forgiveness is found by placing our trust on the one who died on our behalf. The only perfect one who lives. The only one who was worthy to pay the price. Nobody else ever claimed to be a savior. Nobody else ever claimed to take our sin away. Now, am I going to ask you a question, and then we're done. Has there ever been a time in your life where you made a conscious decision to quit trusting the weak promises that you've made and all the things that you haven't, won't be doing anymore? Where you said, I don't need a second chance, I actually need a saviour. I don't need to try harder, I need a saviour. Ever been a time in your life like the thief that said, I need a savior. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to give you some of, the, some of you for the first time to say, you know what? I've heard this all of my life. And I kind of sort of believed it intellectually, but I want to make it personal to me. I want to put all my faith, personal faith, in Christ for my personal sin. I want him to take the whole lot. Now for some of you, I'm going to give you a chance to say, you know what? I've been doing the, yeah, Jesus, I want you, but I'm also trusting in my good works to get me across the line when the final time comes, when the end of the road comes. I'm kind of doing both. I'm squatting between two things. And I've said, Jesus isn't enough. I've done some good things, and if my good things aren't good enough, well, at least I've got Jesus in my backstop. And you've never made a solid decision to get in the boat, get in the barrow, and let him take you across. Because you're not going to get across any other way. If you've never put all of your faith and all of your hope in Christ at Calvary, I want to give you a chance to do that right where you said. I'm going to pray a prayer as we close now. And you can pray it after me, or you can use your own words. Now listen carefully, though. I need to be clear about this, because there's still some misconceptions about this. Praying a prayer will not make you a Christian. Trusting in Christ will make you a Christian. About being forgiven. Christianity isn't about being good, it's about being forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Here's some words that you can use if this is where your heart is at this morning. Just say, Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. 
Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I don't need anybody to tell me that. And I do need forgiveness. Because I know that you don't want sin in heaven. I'm asking for forgiveness because of what Christ did for me. Then you tell him. Say, Heavenly Father, right now I'm putting all of my trust in Christ's death on the cross. As a payment for my sins. I am not trusting in the promises I've made to be good or my consistency. I'm not trusting in the things I have never done, therefore making me look better. I'm only trusting in Christ. Now tell your Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving you into his family. Heavenly Father, thank you that your gospel is so simple, so unbelievably fair. Thank you that we all got invited, that we can all get in the same way, and that everybody here can meet the requirements, because all you desire is trust and faith. Father, I pray for those that have prayed this prayer. For the first time, would you give them the courage to let that be known to somebody and move into our Fresh Start classes and begin to grow and to read their Bible and allow you, by your Spirit, to ignite them in this new life they now have in Christ. In Jesus' name I ask it. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you, Pastor.